This is episode 71 of Ethics and Culture Cast from the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture. Welcome to episode 71 of Ethics and Culture Cast from Notre Dame's De Nicola Center for Ethics and Culture. I'm Ken Hellenius, the communications specialist at the center. In this episode, we welcome Father Harrison Ayer back to the podcast. He is pastor of St. Peter's Parish in Nanaimo, British Columbia, co-host of the award-winning Clerically Speaking podcast, and author of the new book, Mysterion, the revelatory power of the sacramental worldview. Let's sit down together for this delightful conversation about faith, the role of mediation, and the incarnation of Christ. Well, Father Harrison Ayer, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, great to be back. Back here when it's not snowing and cold and outside. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's actually quite lovely today, yeah. right? Oh, it's perfect outside. <laughs> you know, you are one of the few people to actually be a repeat guest on Ethics and Culture Cast. I was wondering about that. I was like, I wonder how many repeat guests they get. <laughs> yeah, well, we first met when when you and your podcast co-host, Father Anthony Sharapa, uh, joined us for the 2019 Fall Conference, and mm-hmm. we recorded an episode together along with uh, Sister Teresia Alethea Noble of the Daughters of St. Paul mm-hmm. uh, about digital friendship, yes. which was at the 2019 conference was our conference on friendship, and then we didn't get to have a 2020 in-person <laughs> conference. So it was so good that we were able to be together and have that experience together. It was actually kind of interesting. I actually reflected on that as COVID hit and everything was like, what a great topic to almost like kind of prepare the way as going as we went into this uh, this interesting past couple of years. Right? right. This notion of friendship as just I think it became experience is just so vital afterwards. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting to me because, of course, you record a podcast with Father Anthony yep. that is entirely remote. Yes. And you'd been doing that for years, even by that point. We're coming up on four years now, I four think. Years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, so you have developed this relationship mm-hmm. virtually, and then the rest of the world had the same experience. Yes. Of, <laughs> you know, of of all of the challenges and yet, and the desire that that puts in one's heart mm-hmm. in not being able to be together in person. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... That desire, I think, is something we're going to have to reflect on going forward because that embodied engagement with another is just so vital. I, I hesitate to say in person only because, like, I have this – I've been reflecting on the theology of the internet and stuff like this around, like, how, what does it mean to experience things online? And you're still interacting with a person, so mm-hmm. you're still meeting a person. So that's why I hesitate to say when you're – kind of meeting someone face to face that you're that you're not meeting in, that you're meeting in person as if to say the digital's not in person it is we need actually i think we need to re, we need to know what that experience is so that we can actually engage better online but that embodied experience that that real sense of of seeing someone face to face is such a joy I, actually i still remember the first day we kind of re because in bc our churches were closed for a few months pretty much mm-hmm. and the first mass back we were we had a little bit of numbers like 50 people or something like this i, I got 
like emotional and overwhelmed because it was just so nice to hear the responses at the mass and everything. Right. There's something to this that we need this this embodied nature of our humanity is just so vital and that we need to re-embrace that. Yeah. To bro- to broaden our own definition and understanding of encounter. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I encounter works on on multiple levels. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, let's take a step back yes. and come back. To, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, because when we sure. when we first recorded, it, we jumped right into a group conversation. So right. tell us about Father Harrison. <laughs> where are you from? Where did you do your studies? Kind of those sorts of sure. things. Sure. So I'm a, I'm a priest of the Diocese of Victoria. I grew up actually near Vancouver um, my whole life. I, went, I moved to Victoria when I was 18, and I uh, went to go study at the University of Victoria, and Eventually ended up in philosophy after many different different disciplines and had a conversion when I was in university. And so it was there that my discernment towards the priesthood really kind of fostered. And so I became eventually a priest for that diocese. So I, I entered seminary in 2008 and was ordained a priest in uh, February of 2013, which is a weird that time is. of year. Yeah, yeah. We, had, we had no bishop for a while and the administrator wanted to wait until we had the new bishop to, before I was ordained. So the bishop gave me a few dates. I'm like, that's the earliest one. That's the one I'll take. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, so yeah, so I've been ordained now just over seven years. And I did my seminary education at St. Joseph's Seminary at Edmonton, where I received my MDiv and also completed an MTH on the philosophy of Maurice Blondel. And then in the last few years, I've also been pursuing a, a doctoral degree through the Maryvale Institute in the UK uh, on the sacramental anthropology of Joseph Ratzinger. So mm-hmm. my, my boy, my boy, as I like to call him. <laughs> right. uh, uh, Ratzinger's my boy. Um, no, I just – so studying that as well. So – and then uh, I'm currently pastor at St. Peter's Parish in Nanaimo, many diocesan duties as is often the case, and yeah, co-host of Clerically Speaking. Fantastic. Yeah. How did you meet Father Anthony? I think we – I asked this before. Yeah. But how, how did you – It was Twitter. Twitter. Really? Yeah. So there was um, there was a contest at the time, a kind of fun contest on, on Twitter. Back when Catholic Twitter was a little bit more uh, – what's the word I'm looking for here? Less divided? Yeah, less divided is definitely it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's just wholesome. That's the word I was looking at, okay. a little bit more wholesome. Sure. And so Tommy tied to this contest called the Hipster of the Year, different categories. And his was Hipster Priest of the Year. And so I was on it. And at the time, I was more popular than Father Anthony was on Twitter. And this guy from Pittsburgh is on this list, and he comes out of nowhere just, like, attacking all the dark other priests. Horse. The Star Wars. He started, I won it, thankfully. I still won it. But this this nobody out of nowhere who I've never heard of before just comes out doing all these, like, wrestling memes and everything like this. Uh, uh, but it was through that then uh, uh, him and myself and some other priests got a priest DM, a direct messaging group on Twitter, and actually became real friends through that. Like, uh, you know, I'm actually going to see one of them on my way out of here in Chicago on Sunday, Father Dan who really is the instigator of the group. And we've hung out many times in person. So that's how we kind of met. And it started digitally, but we've 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 now kind of had those embodied encounters. Right, right. <laughs> I told you we'd get back to the yes. thing, right? <laughs> You mentioned you have lots of responsibilities as a pastor. So yes. you, you actually, your day-to-day work is pastoral ministry. That's right. I, so I'm a full-time pastor uh, with also starting up a university ministry. There's a large university near our our parish. We finally, after many years, for a lot of reasons I don't want to get into, got club status at the university so I mm-hmm. can actually do stuff on campus now. Uh, so that'll be really good. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm on nine diocesan committees right now, I think. So <laughs> there's not a lot of priests in our diocese, right? So the thing is we get, this is why I'm doing like my, my degree through Maryville Institute because they allow distance education uh, for your degree because 
we have 18 active priests in my diocese right oh, now. Oh, wow, okay. Um, so there's a great priestly poverty in that sense, and so there's a lot of responsibilities that we kind of need to try and do our best to address without obviously killing ourselves. <laughs> sure, sure. Is the diocese all of the Vancouver Island? All then? Vancouver Island, some of the Gulf Islands. Okay, Yeah, and some sure. of the Gulf Islands. So there's like a shipping route that divides the Gulf Islands between Vancouver Island and Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm from Seattle, so I'm from, you're from God's just country. south of the, exactly you're, right. You're, we're all from God's country uh, here. <laughs> San Juan Island yep. and, and the beautiful, yep. and you mentioned, I think, before that part of uh, the diocese extends below the 49th parallel. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most, yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone's like, it must be even... This past couple of weeks, I'm staying at Corby Hall, and uh, so priests like, "Oh, it's got to be so cold up there." I'm like, "I'm like, Victoria's an hour and a half boat ride to Seattle." Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about your new book. Right. We're still relatively new, I guess, yeah. right? Um, Mysterion: The Revelatory Power of the Sacramental Worldview. So, first off, what's the basic premise of your book? So, the basic premise is simply this: to be baptized into Christ means that our whole existence, our whole life, is immersed in his life and his life in ours. That to be a Christian is to participate in the very life of God. And that, with that, means that God, because of the incarnation and taking on our humanity, enters into the whole of reality. And so there's nothing in life that that interferes with our ability to come to know God, but rather that God works in and through the material and created world in order to make himself known to us. And so our experience, the world around us, the church, the sacraments themselves, etc., are all means by which God really does work in our lives. This is the essential kind of core argument of the book. Yeah. You talk about the idea of mediation. Yes. And so mediation (laughs) is how we encounter one another through right. senses. Right. Um, and yet they are actual revelations to one another. Right. And it's also how God interacts with us. Correct. This is, I think, the biggest reason for the book. There's a few reasons for it. I mean, it, it really is, it, it's a kind of a coming together of the pastoral work of stuff I see day in and day out in Catholics' lives, uh, melding with my kind of theological formation. Um, and that this mediation is actually something a lot of us really struggle with as modern people, right? So I have a whole chapter in the book on, on modernism, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that great fighting word that Catholics love to throw around and often actually don't know what it's about. Really, when the popes have been going kind of against modernism, what they mean is the denial of mediation, that there is no way God works in and through this world. At best, he starts the universe as kind of a deistic God, is far away and distant, but he's not personal. Mm-hmm. Mediation says, no, no, there's a personal God who's active and upholding all of creation and who is known in and through it. This is how we function as human beings. Like I, one of my favorite examples I think I use in the book is just a word. A word is mediation, right? What's it doing? A sound. Something sensible is making present something invisible, a thought, right, that is able to correspond to, a th- to, to yourself when you hear it through the senses in your mind. So to be sacramental as a human being it is more than just like the seven sacraments in the church, but it's actually at the core of being human, right? Hence my theological dis- – my, my PhD dissertation, right? At the, it's, at the heart of being human is to be sacramental, and modernity has really tried to kind of grind that out of us, 
that all that matters is the individual's experience. Uh, there's strong sentimentalism today, et cetera, where we, all that matters is my immediate experience within myself. My true self is within, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a, this, you get into a lot of the ideologies and around why body and person get separated from each other. Not to denounce, not to say that people don't go through these experiences, but there's philosophical underpinnings to a lot of these things. And so really Christianity and the Catholic tradition proposes something that's really kind of anti-modern. And we need to start to think about where we're at with all that, how to, how to navigate the time we're in, but also like really embrace the heart of the Catholic tradition around sacramentality. Yeah. I'm reminded of the ideas that even like Carter Sneed writes mm. about expressive individualism. You know, he he's right. um, of course talked about Charles Taylor and the idea there too. But this idea that, and even when you use the phrase "all that matters," yes, the reality is matter matters. matters. Yes, exactly. Um, and that <laughs> our bodies do express ourselves because yes. we are body and soul together. Yes, right. So such that creation, God said that it. It is very good. Yes. Right? And yes. creation means something. Yes. I mean, I don't think as Catholics we really we really ponder the mystery of the incarnation enough. What does that mean? Like that God took on our humanity and everything with it, experience, emotions. Uh he took on while he's not sinful himself, he took on a humanity akin to our own, whereby he experienced injury and hurt and pain, suffering. Um, he, he encountered hunger and want. God took all of this on. That is a radical, like we, we talk about the creation account, right? Well, this is why John's, the first chapter of John's gospel is kind of a, a new creation, right? Because mm-hmm. this is God's final affirmation of it. it's very good. He takes it on himself. And it's not just his body, it's his humanity, but he interacts with the created world. He uses dust to write in and uh, mud to heal people he uses oil he he eats he 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 sees the importance of place and temple uh so many elements of the world around him he actually integrates in, into his life as well which is another way of god affirming that it's not just humanity that god affirms he affirms his whole creation he doesn't want to see it destroyed he wants to, to embrace it this is what the incarnation means and it it even goes like even more radical than that in some ways to for God to take on our humanity is God taking on creatureliness and says that this is where God is found. We don't want that. We don't like this idea that because creature means limit. Yeah, we don't like, oh, I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. You can be whatever you want to be if you just dream it big enough type of ide- ideology. No, no, no. Your limits are actually the place where God is found because God took that on himself. There's just so much more of this. The incarnation is everything. Such that even his wounds are present in the resurrection. Yes. Oh, I, yes. Oh, I, I, That's my favorite gospel. I, I preach the same homily on every Divine Mercy Sunday just because that, yeah, God is known. Now he reveals himself through his wounds. What a amazing reality. We, as we often like to run away from our wounds, but God's saying, you know, embrace them and see in them a place where I love you. There's nothing in us that God doesn't love. 
just means we have to just embrace reality. And when you can embrace reality, that's when you can actually come to know God's love again. But modernity doesn't want us to embrace reality. It wants us to create a, the homo faber, as, as uh, Ratzinger likes to talk about in the introduction to Christianity. We want to make ourselves. No, no. We've got to receive ourselves from God. This is where the great gift is. This is where it's really... I'm struggling to come to words because the reality is just too great for words sometimes, you know? Right, right. It also then gives meaning to suffering. It gives us the entry to redemptive suffering That's right. as well. Yeah. I can unite my sufferings with him who has suffered for us. Yes. And he did it without any reason to. Yeah. And, and with this whole like notion of participation, it's not just... Because I think this is part of the problem. We think we, we hear these phrases, oh, just offer it up and and... We have a disconnect still between Christ and our experience. Um, I've always, I'm like, that's one of my big pastoral tasks is always, how do I bring those things together? Because we can unite it, but that it's actually Christ suffering in you and, and that he enters into that and he wants you to say yes to it. Obviously not in the sense of like in a masochism, like I guess I have to suffer all the time. No, no. But when it comes your way, will you accept the cross as he accepts it? And that in a mysterious way, you're participating in his accepting of the cross 2,000 years ago today. This is what the sacramental principle is all about is all these things that happened in Jesus's life 2,000 years ago are now universalized in the church and throughout history. So we always have access to this. And I'm actually participating in suffering in this. So it's not just like a, I'm, doing, I'm being like Jesus. It's not something just imitative, but it's actually something participatory. And this is what we kind of really need to reclaim as, as Christians, I think. And being baptized into his death and resurrection puts us, as you say, we are participating in Christ. Right. We are Christ. Well, yeah. Christ this, is in us. This is, this is one of uh, i wrote another little book before this on the pandemic and 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 how to kind of what's what's god saying through all this and it was there actually in conversation with michael highland my co-author about how realizing like baptism's not a one time thing it's a it's not something that's happened to you when you're a baby and the priest poured water over your head and said the the trinitarian formula it's a constant act of reality. It has to be. Otherwise, there's no access to grace. We are, we are screwed if, there's, if baptism is not always working. It's always at work, which means Jesus' death and resurrection is always present in us now, today. That event of 2,000 years ago is always made present today. And this is why the church has, for example, her liturgy, because it's, it's, it's an intensification of, what, of a reality that's always already at work and present in us. This is, uh, this is a great mystery. Right, mm-hmm. and this is the great life that Jesus wants us to have. This is the this is the path He wants us to take, which is His way, and He wants to live His way in us. Yeah. Well, we're talking about incarnation yes. and and kind of the incarnational nature of our relationship, and your book itself is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, to hold a book yes. is an incarnational experience. Yes, but even to look at this very beautiful piece of work, Mm -hmm. this artifact, is itself also (laughs) sacramental in a way. It's beautifully presented. There are things to be revealed when you even remove the dust jacket. And yet even the contents, they do my Dominican heart proud because (laughs) this is obviously the the fruit of prayerful contemplation. So 
how did you write this book? <laughs> in mad dashes. No, uh, <laughs> that is something I'm still figuring out in some ways. How do I write something? Like uh, my my process of writing is something I'm still growing into. Now that I'm actually like publishing stuff, I realize what do you have to do? Uh, it's a dialogue for me. One of the great blessings of writing a book is you have an editorial team. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for editors, because <laughs> I could not do what they do. I do not have the attention span for that stuff. Uh, but when you're struggling through a, a concept, you could say, hey, can you guys read this over and get back to me? What do you think? So I was submitting stuff to Sister Teresa Alethea, was actually my acquisitions editor. It's actually here at the fall conference that the book kind of got its 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 initials its initial kickstart. Wow. Uh it was we were in a car going to Jeff's uh for for something and as she goes, "Have you guys ever she said to me Father, have you guys ever thought about writing a book?" And we're like, "Eh, maybe, I don't know." And then Father and I were talking about it. it just didn't quite work out, but then it was I was like, if she goes, "Well, if you were to write a book, would you write about like sacramentality? Like that's what I want to write on." She goes, well, you should submit a proposal. So, but it was all at the fall conference. If the fall conference, if we weren't at the fall conference, this book would not exist, probably. Wow. So there you go. There you go. Uh, <laughs> um, it's 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 the fruit. I think for me, writing in some ways actually comes quite easily. I can write a lot fast if I have to, but I can do that because it's coming from something that's been integrated over years, through prayer, through study, and through experience. I think those are three things that are at the fruit of everything I write in the book. Uh, the book tends to be more catechetical uh, in, its, in its nature, but then we also just put out a video series with this, and those videos are trying to bring the experience element into things as well, to try and tie those two things together, uh, because I just think that's so vital in the, in, in the Christian life. So I, I really don't have, because of my ADHD, I don't really have a process of writing, like, I'll be honest, I wrote a third of that book in one day. I just, I had a, I had a, all right, it was a focused moment and it just blurted it out. Going. And then wow. you have your editors, you refine things afterwards, everything, obviously, right? But it was just, but why could I do that? Because it was already there through study and prayer uh, and, and pastoral experience. Those are the three things I was always reflecting on uh, when writing the book. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, working with the Pauline Books and Media team. You've produced also this multimedia portion, uh, yeah. videos in which you present the the themes. And then I noticed like in one of the episodes, they lead you through kind of a Visio Divina, kind yeah. of a let's reflect on an icon together. Yeah. And then and then there was a live Q&A portion yes. that you did as well. Yeah. So um, how did... It really put me to the, the ringer of work. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, how did those conversations go? They went really well. Um, it was, I mean, all of this has been, I think, for the younger sisters who I mostly worked with on this project, this book became a project for them to try to experiment how they do books in general. Uh, so Sister Danielle, when she pitched the book cover idea, was something no one's ever really thought of doing before, right? And I keep on saying, you have to submit the book for visual works. I said, I don't care about the mm -hmm. content. You got to, that needs to be honored. Um and then they were they pitched this idea of doing a video series, uh, uh, and I thought, hmm, okay. As a pastor, where you often do off, lots of adult faith formation programs, I thought, well, how would we want to do this? And we we went back and forth about it, and we kind of agreed that it's going to be free. 
the video series is free. Now, what's on YouTube right now is not the finalized, finalized for There's still some edits and things to do, but it'll be fully downloadable for free with a study guide and everything so that you can just lead it in your parish. This is the idea is maybe I'll help sell the book by just giving parishes. But I was like so tired as a pastor, people nickel and diming. You have to pay for the leader's guide. You have to pay for the study guide and the book and the video series. And it's just like they just nickel and dime you to death sometimes. I said, no, no, we want to just we want to do evangelization and catechesis. Like the word actually we're kind of using with this is kind of like a mystagogy. It's why we actually did it after Easter <laughs> on purpose. Ah, <laughs> good. Uh, the conversations were really great. Uh, the The videos were a lot of fun to do. It was actually one of the best times of my life recording the videos with the sisters. And and the questions that people brought to those live conversations were really fascinating and really good to hear. So um, it's been a fun experiment uh, of, of trying to find out how do we do ministry differently through books and media and how can we support? Because the Pauline charism is really about supporting parishes to evangelize and catechize. So the video series now becomes a way for parishes to do this at a, I mean, you could even just do the video series without the book. If you really wanted to, the, the, they're, they're not in, they're not completely independent of each other, but they're not completely dependent on each other either. And so I think this will be a great way for parishes to foster um, a growth in the life of Christ. Yeah. Because I noticed even at the end of the book, you have questions for consideration. Yes. You know, so uh, there is kind of a built-in study guide for even the individual reader as well. That's right. Yes. So this, there's there's something for everyone. There's something for everyone. <laughs> well, what brings you to Notre Dame this summer? So as I said earlier, I'm doing my PhD. And uh, because of the pandemic, when we were organizing our residential period, so I usually have to go to UK for a couple of weeks, which I haven't done yet because of the pandemic. Right. They said, we just don't know what the summer is going to be like, so we're going to do it online. And when I saw that, I was a little disappointed because I'm like, I, just, I, need, to, I need to get to some libraries badly because where I am for theology, there's not a lot of stuff in my diocese for that. I mean, I have a good personal library, but, you know, can only do so much, especially the old German stuff. So, uh, uh, so I said to my bishop, hey, Notre Dame's got a great theological library. Can I just go there for two weeks? I'll do my classes online. I just kind of hide myself in the library for, for a couple of weeks. He goes, yes, go. So that's why I'm here. Yeah. So I've been just essentially hiding out in the library, making the odd pilgrimage to the Chick-fil-A on campus, which I was very happy to find out exists here because <laughs> we don't have them where I am. And I love the Chick-fil-A sauce. So, uh, and, uh, just, just studying, just mostly scanning, like just getting a lot of stuff to bring back with me that I can read over for the next couple of years as I try to bring this thesis to a hopeful conclusion. What's next after Mysterion? And obviously probably that, right? The thesis right yeah, now. the thesis. Yeah. Well, I had another book on the way, but I actually had to cancel the contract just because it's something I actually learned with ADHD is you say you have no sense of time at all. And you say yes to things, not knowing how much time things actually take. Uh, I realized through writing two books now, they actually take a lot of time. And I was kind of crazy to doing books while doing a PhD, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, so right now really it's just focusing on the parish and getting the PhD done. These are the two big uh, tasks. And continuing with the podcast, obviously. I've got a couple small Articles I'll be submitting, academic articles that I'll be submitting for some publication stuff. Uh, but otherwise, I'm not touching anything until until the thesis is done. I've learned I have to say no to a lot of things so I can just focus on this. But working with the sisters was a real delight. And they already have proposed like two or three different book ideas for me to do. But I said, 
once my thesis is done. Right. <laughs> well, Father Harrison, thank you so much for um, for bringing this book to you know to fruition because it is, as you say, it's catechetical, but it's also prayerful and it's a an offering to the church. And I, oh, I forgot to say this earlier. I meant to say one more yeah, thing quickly, please. So you mentioned earlier about the Visio Divina in the videos. Yes. And that was actually part of my insistence because <laughs> it was going to be me doing the whole series. And I said, no, no, they don't need to see this ugly mug all the time. But I said also, I said, I was actually, it was really, actually, it was also the fruit of the experience of working with the sisters. There's such, these women are gifted and, and they're such a gift to the church. And sometimes priests get emphasized and religious can kind of get pushed to the side. I said, no, they need to have a, the sisters and women have to have a place in this too because this work would not have been possible without them. And so it was, it's really kind of a, a reflection of the Marian stance, which is kind of at the heart on purpose of the book. Yeah. Uh, that, women have a role and a place to play in the church that that dignifies who they are as women. And uh, Sister Danielle just did an amazing job with the Visio Divina. She has such a, she has such a talent. Yeah. Yeah. You, I've seen you write elsewhere about uh, kind of getting to know the Pauline ministry and the Mm -hmm. the kind of the Pauline charism as well. And that's one of the communities that I see online, uh, on Twitter particularly, as being just joyful and shockingly young as well. Yes, I know, I know. And they're great. And actually, uh, this is the great thing in it all. And this is kind of the great serendipity point of it all was when I submitted the sample writing for the the book, Sister Teresa calling me back, she goes, Father Harrison... Do you realize how Pauline this book is? This book is their whole charism. Yeah. It's all about participation in Christ, who's way, truth, and life. And and their youthfulness and joy comes out of this spirituality that their whole life is in Christ, including their life on the internet. And so that means you have to carry yourself a certain way, but it also means that there's an opportunity to draw others to that same participation through your joy and your youthfulness and your, your vigor of life. And uh, it's been such a blessing to get to know these sisters over the last couple of years. It just, it's, it's something I never would have thought. It's one of those little gifts of God that you're just like, wow, what a gift. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> well, Father Harrison, thank you for coming to be with us again, and awesome. uh, best of luck in your research and, and writing. Thanks for having me back on. It's been great to be here. to Father Harrison. In the show notes, you will find a link to his book, Mysterion, to the video series that accompanies the book, and to the Clerically Speaking podcast. Subscribe to Ethics and Culture Cast so that you can always get the latest episodes by visiting ethicscenter.nd.edu slash podcast. We would love your feedback. Please review the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and email your suggestions to cecpodcast at nd.edu. Our theme music is I Don't Know by Grapes, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. We'll see you next time on Ethics and Culture Cast. Until then, make good decisions. Good decisions.